Welcome to episode 5 of 2,439 Days. I'm your host, Derek Streeter. Last week, we covered the third stage of grief, bargaining. I mentioned several times throughout the episode that bargaining went hand-in-hand with today's theme, guilt. Guilt is the fourth stage of grief, and for me, it was without a doubt the hardest stage to overcome. I imagine that this stage is hard for anyone who has lost someone close to them because so often we don't get to tell that person goodbye or to explain how much they meant to us. We don't get to give them one last hug and thank them for their influence on our lives. Instead, we wonder what we could have done to interfere with fate's plans for them. We wish that we had answered that most recent call or that we had made dinner plans with them instead of spending another lazy night in. That guilt will eat us alive for long periods of time. The title of today's episode comes from a quote by Coco Chanel. Guilt is perhaps the most painful companion of death. Reflecting on all the time I spent grieving, I feel this quote. I think that those of us who lost a loved one to suicide experience guilt on an entirely different level. The guilt that I experienced in the aftermath of Tim's death was crushing. Many nights I found myself unable to sleep because my mind would not shut off. I was being tortured by my own thoughts. The most ironic part of it all is that I hardly considered the torture Tim must have been dealing with inside of his head to make the decision that he did. Talk about a light bulb moment. You start to see the whole picture once you start looking at things from a different perspective. I had to endure a whole lot of growing pains before I reached that moment of clarity. I want to be completely vulnerable with you all. I have been dreading this episode since I decided to start this podcast. I felt personally guilty about Tim's death for a long, long time. I beat myself up because I felt like I could have done more to keep him around. I was constantly thinking back on moments in our lives and wondering why I didn't do this or why I didn't say that. Some guilt is completely rational, but not all of it is. Some guilt is so incredibly irrational because your mind is doing its damnedest to connect any dots that it can. I think about the lifelong friends I made in fourth grade. We formed a truly incredible friendship and it is strong to this day. Tim was only a year older than us. Why didn't I try to include him in our shenanigans more often? He got to be very good friends with Ryan, so the opportunity was there. I know that having those guys in my corner meant everything when life felt low. A great support system means so much in life. I'm not saying that Tim didn't have good friends and people that he could count on, because he absolutely did. I just feel like Tim didn't rely on his friends the way that I did. So maybe this is an example of irrational guilt. I think about the years that Tim moved to Oklahoma. I basically accepted that I wouldn't see him very often and that I would hear from him even less. Why didn't I make it a point to call and check in on him every couple of days? He had his partner and her son with him, but I know from experience that it is hard to move to a new place and not know anybody. I absolutely could have been better about checking in on him. I think about an incident when Brendan and I had to frantically search for Tim 
because several people were worried about him. After an hour or so of searching, we found him, and he ran away from us. We chased him until he decided to stop running, and with tears in his eyes, he screamed at us, Why are you even here? You don't care about me. We pled with him to calm down and let him know that we obviously cared about him because we dropped everything we were doing and went to find him as soon as we heard that there was some concern. Not to mention the crazy chase we had. Tim was obviously at a low point, and he doubted not only himself, but those closest to him. Brendan and I took turns letting him know how much he meant to us, and after much denial, he finally accepted that we did care. I can't believe how much convincing it took, though. I was not considering the toll that his mental illness was playing on him. His mind was tricking him into thinking that he had nobody, that no one truly cared. And even when we were right in front of him, crying and insisting over and over that we did, he couldn't see it. Why didn't I show more compassion for what he was going through? I left that encounter feeling angry, that he made me feel the way he did, for making me passionately spill my heart out to him. I replayed this incident in my head over and over. Why did I feel so angry afterwards? I should have felt heartbroken that he was feeling that way internally. I was selfishly responding to the way he made me feel instead of responding to what he was going through. We often only consider what is going on inside our own heads. I had no idea how intense Tim's inner turmoil was, and I'm still extremely remorseful because of that. This went down about two years before the day he took his own life. I had so much time in between these two events to try to help him. I guess I just didn't take it seriously enough. That's an awful feeling to have nagging at you. It breaks my heart to look back and realize that for Tim to take his own life that day, he was convinced that either the world would be a better place without him, or that the internal struggle was too much to handle. Either way, I feel like he was wrong that day, and I wish I had been given one more chance to plead my case in front of him. Other than the moments I just shared, I can definitively say that the most daunting hurdle of the guilt stage was seeing Tim's children on those big days. On their birthdays, on Tim's birthday, and on all the normally fun holidays. I don't know how the rest of the family was feeling, but I know that I was constantly in my head on these occasions. I wanted so badly for their dad to be there, and his absence felt so much larger on these big days. I would attend these family functions fully aware that they would be super hard, but no matter how much I tried to mentally prepare, it never got easier. I think one of the biggest reasons for this is that we hardly ever spoke about the difficulty of those days together. We all knew it, so it went without saying. I believe that it shouldn't have gone without saying, though. I believe that I should have shared how hard it was for me, so that there was never any question. I should have checked in on all of them, and asked if it was hard on them too, even if I knew what the answer would be. In my world, it's better to show that you care too much than to come off as if you don't care at all. Remember that when you know that you have grieving friends and family, because although you may feel like you know what the answer will be, 
Sometimes that answer might surprise you. Just the other night, I was lucky enough to spend some quality time with my good friend, Jake. Jake and I have been friends since college, and we have shared many memorable moments together. Another thing we share is that we both lost a brother at a young age. It's an awful thing to have in common for sure, but it has made the bond between us a lot stronger. Jake has been listening to the podcast, so I asked him what he thinks of when it comes to guilt in the aftermath of losing his brother, Ben. He told me that he will always feel guilty about not having spent more time with him. We had an emotional chat, but it was so nice to get some heavy stuff off of our chests. Are these conversations hard? Of course they are. But feeling comfortable enough with someone to be able to talk about this subject matter is such a blessing. Jake shared that he wonders how close him and his brother would be if he were still around, because Ben loved the mountains and snowboarding. Jake currently resides in Crested Butte, a top-tier place if you like those two things. What a cool thought to hold on to. It made me start to think about the relationship I could have with Tim if he were still around today. One of the first things Tim and I truly clashed over was his love for marijuana. We both grew up in the D.A.R.E. era, so I think that sufficiently scared me away from all drugs. Knowing that Tim was smoking pot when my parents weren't around made me resent him. I thought he was being so careless. I pledged to never use marijuana, and it created a huge divide amongst my brother and myself. Looking back on it now, I was probably doing more damage to myself drinking alcohol than Tim was using marijuana. Flash forward to present day, my lovely wife Corinne owns a dispensary with her family. Talk about coming full circle. I wonder if Tim would have moved down to Cortez to work for the Doobie Sisters. It truly is wild to think about. That could have been such a funny thing for us to bond over. I definitely have guilt over the negative association I always gave to Tim because of his marijuana preference. I have become much more informed on the beneficial aspects of both THC and CBD, the latter of which is known to help with anxiety and depression. It's crazy to think that something I resented him for was possibly helping to keep him in check. What could have been? Anyways, thank you, Jake, for the great conversation and for helping me turn my guilt into a more pleasant thought. Let's rewind a bit. April 21st, 2015. Instant shock. A morning full of denial. An angry post on Facebook. Life in a dense fog of numbness. The funeral. A sense of relief that the funeral is over and now we can get back to normal. Ha! Not so fast. I mentioned in episode 4 that the rest of 2015 was rough. That September was the first time my family attended an out-of-the-darkness walk. For those of you who have never attended one of these events, it is an annual walk put on by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. At first, you think, wow, what an incredible turnout. And then you realize that everyone there has lost someone to suicide. In a word, heartbreaking. They have color-coded beads to wear, and those beads represent different relationships to the ones you are there to mourn. 
White represents the loss of a child. Red represents the loss of a spouse or partner. Gold represents the loss of a parent. Carrie, Brendan, and I learned that orange represents the loss of a sibling. It was truly surreal putting those beads on for the first time. I can't speak for the rest of my family, but a freight train of emotions hit me hard and it hit me fast. I was devastated for all of the strangers who were there with us, knowing that they had also experienced that excruciating pain. I felt both sickened and comforted that there were so many people at this walk. I cried a lot and I wondered, how could people come back to this event year after year? Well, I wasn't wondering for very long. The crowd released butterflies up into the sky and it was very cool to see. One butterfly decided to hang out on my mom's shoulder, so we figured that it must be Tim's spirit. Ever since then, whenever we see a butterfly with that coloring, we say hello back to Tim. I was starting to warm up to this event because you could feel the energy in the crowd change in a very favorable direction. The brave, powerful speakers took things to a whole nother level. I was so inspired by these people sharing their stories of loss. I didn't think I would ever be able to do something like that. Well, would you look at me now? Good life lesson. When you are inspired, do something about it. Remember the way that it made you feel and try to live your life with that same energy. Out of the darkness walks have become a staple for not only my immediate family, but for my extended family as well. Every fall, I receive dozens and dozens of pictures of family members at their walks in their Streeter Strong or Tim's Ultimate Warrior shirts. It's such a beautiful thing to see. The support that my family has, incredible. Sadly, there hasn't been one of these walks in the town that I currently live in. Telluride, Colorado has one, so I ventured there for one a couple years back. But I need one closer to home. My wife and I decided to take matters into our own hands and create a walk of our own. We are still working out the details, but this September 10th will mark the start of what we hope becomes a huge annual event. A big thank you to Arlena and Katie for helping us get this thing rolling. It means the world to me. For those of you listening who haven't attended an Out of the Darkness walk or something similar to it, please give it a shot. I know that it is hard to put yourself in a position where your loss will be weighing heavily on your mind, but they are very inspiring and powerful, and they will forever be a part of my life. I hope they can be a part of yours as well. Looking back on my grief journey, I could have used a lot more assistance. I was a bird flying blind, and let's just say I hit a few branches. I really do want to help my listeners, so I've started to regularly read articles about the stages of grief. What'syourgrief.com is a great website to check out if you are in the midst of the grieving process. They shared some quick tips for coping with guilt, and I wish I had sought out resources like this when I truly needed them. Their tips are as follows. Number one, acknowledge that guilt is a normal grief emotion and don't let others minimize the validity of your grief experience. 
Number two, consider what your guilt is all about. Is it rational? Is it irrational? Is it about control? Number three, talk it over with others. Talking about guilt can help you reflect on your grief. Number four, examine your thoughts. Often our guilt thoughts start to consume us. They can drag us down into one of those bottomless black holes, the kind that are full of isolation, despair, and far too much wine and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Number five, if your guilt feelings are irrational, admit it. Being honest with yourself about your guilt is important and accepting that grief is sometimes irrational can be helpful. Number six, find positive thoughts to balance your guilt thoughts. I think this is like basically what happened with me and Jake. Number seven, forgive yourself. It doesn't mean we forget, but it means we find a way to move forward. Number eight, figure out what you have learned. We can learn and grow from almost any emotion. So take some time to consider what your guilt has taught you. Number nine, do something positive with your guilt. Whether irrational or irrational, you can use your guilt to help others. Number 10, consider what your loved one would tell you. If there are things you wish you had said, say them. Then imagine what your loved one would tell you. My journey through the guilt stage of grief was lengthy. And by lengthy, I mean four to five years. Four to five years of being consumed by a guilty conscience, whether it was deserved or not. I think that these tips would have shortened that period significantly. So remember these tips if it is proving difficult for you. I promise that you don't want to toss and turn every night, reliving your hardest moments. Take the necessary steps to shorten that time frame as much as humanly possible, because it was miserable. The most important step is to forgive yourself. We've all made mistakes, and we all have a few regrets. That's what makes us human. If you ever want to reach acceptance, you must first forgive yourself. Please don't forget that. That's going to do it for episode five. Guilt truly is a painful companion, one that you don't want to consume your life for too long. So if you find yourself unable to shake those feelings of guilt, give those tips a try. I can't stress enough how important it is to talk about what you are feeling. Yes, there may be some things that you will always feel genuinely guilty about, but remember that some of those guilty thoughts are wildly irrational. At some point, you will need to forgive yourself. So start working in that direction. I want to once again thank Jake for providing valuable insight into his journey. It makes this subject less difficult to talk about, the more comfortable you become with sharing. I have really enjoyed hearing from my listeners, so please continue to reach out. For those of you who are listening in Southwest Colorado, be on the lookout for Rise Southwest this September 10th. Cortez, we are coming for you. Inspiration and hope are on the way. I appreciate you all so much. Be good to everybody, especially yourselves.
This episode, and every episode of 2,439 days, is dedicated to my family. You're all so much stronger than you'll ever know. In fact, you're streeter strong. Love you all.